As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. That far away from it. Mm. From the... Still think about that? Never forget it. Wouldn't say every day, no. but many times in a year, when every time we come to a big match... <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'll never forget it. We'll whisk it away, son. Yeah. I'll whisk it away. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to The England Show on The Athletic. Coming up today, we're looking ahead to the final of Euro 2020, which sees England take on Italy at Wembley. It's the biggest possible test we could have with, with a day less to recover, but we've got to prepare from now and of course it's wonderful to have that opportunity to take them on. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the Athletics England correspondent Jack Pickbrook, Ollie Kay and David Priest to look forward to the massive final. So we're a couple of days after the semi-final, two days until the final Jack and I'm feeling quite strange because I'm not used to this. How much do you be feeling covering it all? Yeah. I don't know what to feel. Like I, I'm no, I have no practice for feeling. You know how am I meant to feel when England play in a major tournament final? I don't know whether to be you know confident or scared or or what. Like it's a, uh, it's completely yeah, it's completely new ground for all of us as a country. And uh, it's yeah. The, yesterday I had a kind of strange panic that think, Christ, we, we we might actually win it. And uh, which had never really occurred to me in those terms before, and I started visualizing what it might look like. At the same time, then I started thinking, well, what if we actually lose it? What will that look like? You know, we'll never. I've never seen the England players as upset as they will be after that, and I've got no idea what Wembley will be like. To say nothing of the rest of the country, so it's all just a big, a big leap into the dark at this point, isn't it, Dan? Like it's. Uh, I mean, Massive none of us bit. have none of us have any idea what Sunday night's going to look like, but it's uh, yeah, it's going to be it's pretty emotionally the way I think. Yeah, I think either either result, it will still be quite a light and lively one. David, welcome. How are you feeling? I'm oh, actually still a little bit drained. Uh, yeah, yesterday I was just I just had no energy whatsoever. I just felt as if I'd played the game myself. And and, and the way I was jumping about in my living room, I probably <laughs> probably did as many kilometers as what they did. But um, yeah, like Jack says, it's strange. But I, I think also it's not looking too far, getting too far ahead of ourselves. Just think. I was born 10 years after 1966. My first World Cup was 
the Maradona hand of God. Then you've got Italian 90, Euro 96, everything that's come afterwards. And you just think to yourself, what, what if we do win it? What, what then? It changes the whole narrative and sort of psyche of, of how we see the England football team. And, it's, and, and in many ways, they already yeah. have anyway. Because for me, for me, looking at this team, this is the best England team I've seen. In the way that it, in the way that they play, play the the way that they manage games, you can argue whether it's the most talented uh, than than or we don't have the maybe it's a Gascoigne or, or something like that. But phew, tell you what, it's it's going to be strange if uh, if we do win. Yeah, Ollie, I guess there's young kids who will have had the last World Cup, which was a relative success, get into the semi final. They've now got the euphoria of this tournament as well. They'll just think that this is normal, but for, for people like us, we know that that's not the case. Yeah, and the, you know there were people who who grew up in the seventies who who didn't see a tournament for for years. I I had it relatively um, fortunate because um, my, my my first World Cup I remember is eighty two when I was seven years old, and they didn't get to the next Euros, but they got to the next you know the next two World Cups, and they were they were they were a lot of fun. But yeah, if, if you're if you're a Somebody who's um, who's only just come into the awareness of England um, England tournaments, etc. Yeah, you, you probably do need to be reminded that that you know it's not always like this. I've got a, a friend whose son is a Manchester City fan who um, who uh, you know whose only memories are of are of you know the start of the success in the last decade that they have, and, and his, his dad's been saying, look, it hasn't always been like this. You know, they might not win on. Sunday, it's it's you know I've heard it described as fifty fifty. I might even be inclined to say it's less than fifty fifty um, because of how good Italy are and and experienced they are. But it's two really enjoyable tournaments r- running. I think that in itself just makes a massive difference to everything around the England team. It's made people and even people like me um, sort of feel reconnected with the England team. Uh, but obviously, you just want to you know. You're in a final. You're desperate to win it. It's got. They've got to try and go and win it because these chances, as we know, come along so so rarely. And um, yeah, it's, they, they've got to go and do it now. I'm not saying it's failure if they don't, because I'd say this tournament is already a success like the previous one was. But in order to really, as you say, change the narrative of English football and change English football history, they've got to go and win it. Just down with you, Ollie. Do you think this is the going to be the greatest sporting occasion in, in the modern era? Because obviously we've had Super Saturday in 2012 at the Olympics. There's a 2005 Ashes for some people. This would be. Different club fan bases will, will, will might have different opinions. But in terms of something for English football, this, this will be the biggest occasion since 66, biggest in my lifetime. And I think because of the way football reaches parts that other sports don't, I think this would... Yeah, I, th- I think it would be the biggest sporting occasion if they win. Jack, what thirty million people watched the game the other the other day? Uh, the two thousand five Ashes was obviously very popular, and you know far more people watched it because it was on Channel Four than would watch England Test cricket now on Sky. But I, I don't know off the top of my head what the figures were, but I would be surprised if they were even ten percent of thirty million. You know, they, uh, football is just much. F- football is the biggest sport in the country by you know, uh, a matter of magnitude more than anything else. Like, there's, there is nothing else quite like it for bringing everyone together. And um, one of the strange things about, you know, covering the games at Wembley is that you don't, 
you miss a bit of a, the sense of just how much everyone in the real world is kind of into it at the moment. But it's pretty clear that the whole country has gone totally crazy for this. And, uh, you know, whether that's people who who love football anyway, have some interest in it, have no real interest in it at all. Um, so clear, I think whatever happens, Sunday night is going to be the biggest sporting event of our lifetimes. Um, on Ollie's point about whether or not we need to win, I, for me, this is just part of the mystery of it, really. Like, we don't know how, how would England handle a defeat? You know, would we... So, you know, people, so often teams need to lose a big final before they win one. You know, like France in 2016, for example, uh, you could argue Germany in 2008 before winning it in 20, the, winning the World Cup in 2014. Spain didn't win a final before winning Euro 2008. So maybe it's different for different teams. But I, uh, I, de- I definitely feel like English football has a final defeat in it. If you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it, it wouldn't be beyond our, our capacity to lose this game. Um, but I just have no idea. I have no idea what the reaction would be if we did. I can tell you what my reaction would be, Jack. Absolute tears. <laughs> if we, if we, probably tears either way, actually, whether whether we win or whether we lose. David, as a former professional footballer, these are the occasions that, that you dream of. And these players, like we say, it's uncharted territory. But this is what they've been waiting for their whole careers. I mean, some of them, their careers haven't been that long. But you know, this is what every footballer wants to do. Yeah, of course it is. And that, but I think the key to it all is... Is not treating it like the occasion that it is, and I think that Garcel Gift did a great job of just allowing the likes of us and all the other fans to get carried away if uh, if we want to. But of course, in there, it won't uh, it won't be like that. And I think that it's really really important that they play with the same same attitude and the same sort of uh, outlook on the games that they have done before. You could see there was a little there was a few nerves there in the first game. Uh, against Croatia, there's a few nerves in the in the last game, um, and it's so just so important that that, that occasion doesn't get you. You know, that, that it doesn't. You don't play it. You don't see. I, I know you you want to go up there and enjoy it and experience it and think of it this great occasion. But the worst thing you probably do is just go in there and and, and run on emotion. Firstly, you know you 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 tire very easy. You'll find you'll tire very easily. But also you start making bad decisions in the game. And, you know, we've seen plenty of times in the past, you know, most notably with uh, with Gaza in the 91 uh, FA Cup final. You do that. I mean, that's an extreme case. But you start doing that and then you'll just you lose all control. And I think that the best thing about this tournament from an England perspective is that we've went into the game, uh, we've played games with control and, uh, and we haven't... We, we, we've used the, the, the fans in the stadium the right way is some motivation and uh, to G them up, but also I don't think it's it's just about not not going over the top with it. Yeah, mental tiredness is as critical as physical tiredness, I would say. Now we're all looking forward to it, Ollie. We're we're all excited about Sunday in England, but the rest of the world probably won't be supporting England. And Charlie Eccleshare's done a, done a piece on that and the fact that most neutrals will not want England to win this tournament at all. Why is that? I don't think England is is you know there, there are a lot of people in, the, in in other countries who admire English culture you know whether it's English sport English music or or or, or whatever but I, I think there's this um, there's this view elsewhere in the world that England you know England is its well it's not its own little island but it's but it's an island with a inflated view of its own importance that's that's how um, 
a lot of people in other countries view it. That's how a lot of people in England view it. And, and I think, you know, I think we, we've seen, uh, without wishing to stray too far into non-football areas, we, you know, we've seen probably examples of, 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 of that in recent years, um, as well as historic, historically. Um, I think there's always been a view that the English public and the English football fans and not least the English media would be utterly unbearable if, if England ever actually... Um, Ever actually got it right in a, in a tournament, and I, I I think in terms of the, the you know the the fans and the media coverage, I think it's been really positive in the right way. But I really love Charlie's piece. There was that line where he likened it to the sketch. Is it from Mitchell and Webb, where where the guy in the um, let's say German officer's outfit is is asking, "Hang on, are we are we the baddies?" And it feels like we are slightly uh, viewed as 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 the baddies for, for the rest of the world because. I think um, you know, people probably see a little bit of hubris in some of the talk around England and some of the expectation and some of the sort of sense of entitlement of we're, we're finally back where we belong. And the last 55 years has shown we certainly don't belong at the very top. But I think one thing that was interesting in, in, in Charlie's piece was, was how he talks about you know, the, the debate around the penalty and how... Um, you know, English journalists in particular have turned a blind eye to that and, and suggesting it was streetwise and all this kind of thing. And I don't think it's the most clear cut of penalties. I don't think it's a clear cut dive. I don't think it's a clear cut penalty. I think it's more in the category of one where you'd say, hang on, has he played for that? That was my view of it at the time. And despite watching numerous replays, it's still just about my view, but I, I don't like seeing people sort of shrug their shoulders and, and say, oh, oh you know, we're being streetwise. I think if you if you have a dim if you take a dim view of that thing, kind of thing, generally, then you should take a dim view of England winning a penalty to reach a final in that manner. I think if you're a fan, it's completely different. I think if you're if you're in the media, um, you probably do have a an obligation to think sort of say, well, you can be a bit more nuanced about it than than saying it's clever and streetwise and brilliant. My problem with the the response, especially from the Danish, of course they're going to feel hard done by and, you know, we probably would ourselves as well, but I've got an experience of playing four years in Denmark. And before I went to Denmark, went away to to Holland, Germany, you know, uh, for training camps, pre-season, mid-training, you're playing against uh, these teams and you always got a frustration because... They were doing it exactly 20 years ago what uh, we see in the Premier League now, what we're seeing Harry Kane and, uh, and Raheem Sterling do. There was always a frustration with the referee. Went to Denmark and then it was clearly the, the common consensus was in a situation like that, the defender that comes back across, uh, you know, clashes knees with, with Sterling, that was stupid by the defender and it was clever by Raheem Sterling. And that was the... That was the, the general consensus, you know, across the board with, with most players. If you give the player opportunity to go down, he's going to go down. He's stupid if he doesn't. For people to complain about that, especially, obviously, the people who, who don't like England and the, the people who want to see England lose, then for me, it's, it's, it's a huge double standard. And I mean, and some, somebody was talking to a Danish journalist, you know, it's, it's what about me, but it's, it's not really. And I think the fact that, personally, I'm someone who, who loves the way that Italy play, uh, the way they manage games. I, I always have. I've, I've, I felt, you know, not a lot of people say it's cheating as well, but they're, they're doing everything they, they can to win. 
So that frustration that I used to feel as a player about, you know, we were too honest and the other, other teams were, were getting the benefit of, of what they were doing. It just seems things have levelled out now and, and, you know, it's it, it's less of a English trait to be more honest and stay on your feet. And it's, like I said, it's just levelled out. So everyone's doing the same thing now. I agree. Everyone is doing the same thing. And, and it's, it's um, I think, professional footballers generally take, a, take the view that, you know, it's part of the game. You have to be clever. It's very. It's, it's quite rare that you see players blaming the the opponent when when something arrives. They normally blame the referee or they or whatever. Um, but I, I just think as 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 journalists, if we if we generally call that kind of thing out, and if we would call it out if it, the boot was on the other foot, I think we have to be willing at least to acknowledge that it seemed that he played for it and and not sort of talk it up and how brilliant it is as gamesmanship, cleverness, streetwise, unless we're going to, you know, unless the people who are saying it's streetwise and clever are just going to apply that sort of standard from now on. I think you've completely changed my tactics, Ollie. If if, if suddenly something happens on Sunday with an Italy player winning a penalty like that, I'd be coming on the podcast, probably be wanting to come on the podcast raging the, the next day, but I think you've completely changed my tactics if something like that does happen now. Jack, I take Ollie's point. It's completely valid. I completely understand what you're saying about the way it's reported. But in some ways, you know, if England have been the victim of these things in the past, it is a little bit refreshing to say that this is a, a more clever England side. And this England side just has lots of things that other England sides haven't had. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, clearly, Sterling and Harry Kane don't need... They don't need, a, they don't need too much an invitation to go down and win a free kick or a penalty. Uh, and that... Frankly, that's been a big strength of England's game. I thought Kane was brilliant at winning free kicks and holding up holding up the ball and leading the line on Wednesday night. I think that was, even though, the, yeah, the penalty was bad and he missed another chance. But I thought overall that was probably his best all-round display I've seen him put in in an England shirt. But game management is something that England, this England team is better at than any other England team. Like for, for, To be honest, that last 15 minutes of extra time when they took off Grealish, went to the 3-4-3... And then spent the second half of extra time popping the ball around around the pitch, and Denmark were chasing the ball. I thought, like, which team is doing the chasing here? Like, I've never seen an England team do anything like that before. There's a clip going around on on Twitter yesterday, which showed I think it's a two or maybe two and a half, three minute spell where England played about fifty. Yeah, it was fifty four. I think two passes. It's amazing. It was it was really amazing watching it because usually at this at this point, if England are ahead late in the game, you expect them to see camped in the box get another centre-back on, hack the ball up the pitch, maybe try and get, you know, somebody desperately trying to chase after it. And the ball just keeps coming back and back and back. Um, so, yeah, I've never seen England do... I've never seen England do what they did then, before. Um, and that just goes to show this is a team with a new level of game management, game intelligence, maturity that England teams in the past haven't had. Uh, and funnily enough, I was going back through... Uh, the. Uh, the transcript from Gareth Southgate's inaugural press conference back in 2016 and game management and game intelligence is something he's been talking about from day one as saying something that England don't do as well as other countries we've got to improve on it and the evidence was there on Wednesday night at Wembley yeah. Ollie, how do you see the team selection for Sunday Italy a phenomenal side but I think we're pretty confident in how they're going to line up they'll probably play 4-3-3 because they have done throughout the whole tournament England it's probably the decision one would be which system will Southgate go to 
And then decision two is the personnel that comes into that system because of the change of formation. If he goes a three at the back, how do you see it? Well, he's, he's shown all along he's not ashamed, uh, afraid to change a winning team and, and mix it up and horses for courses and so on. And um, I felt I felt actually going to the semi-final, he might keep a, a winning team, but I, I, I'm not so sure he would this time, partly because the semi-final would have taken so much out of them emotionally and, and there's a quick turnaround and, and players will be tired and not least because that three-man central midfield for Italy is 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 a real question mark for me or a real conundrum for me because I, I think if 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 they can't disrupt the rhythm of of um, Verratti and, and um, Jorginho in, in particular Barella as well that that's going to be a struggle so I I I don't know whether Gareth Southgate will, will be thinking in these terms, but I, I wonder about sort of reverting to a, a four-three-three, um, and I wonder whether that means dropping Mason Mount a little bit deeper, or whether it means bringing Jordan Henderson in because I think Henderson has has been very important on the periphery, um, you know, particularly you know, um, and came on and made a really good impact the other night. But I wonder whether it might be a, a game for. For Henderson, um, but it, it, it's really difficult. I, I think all the focus will probably be on who he picks on the on the right hand side, and and whether it's Foden, Saka, um, Sancho, whether it's Grealish, and then Sterling moves over. I don't know, um, but I, I I think there's a I think there'll be a case for either switching to a back to a, a back three or having the three in central midfield. Yeah, Jack, is there are there any whispers? In the camp, because I can I can completely take Ollie's point on board for a four three three, quite easily. I could see Southgate going to the three at the back as well. But the one thing I'm looking at there, if if Henderson was to come into midfield, for example, in a four three three, I think you might see Mount on the on the right hand side. And I think even if we go for a back three, there's a case for Mason Mount on the right hand side as well. I have been thinking, yeah, maybe maybe he will go back to the three four three, uh, just to get a bit of extra stability. Even if that means putting Mount into what's previously been the kind of Saka or Sancho role, just to the right hand side of Kane, it does mean that you have a bit less pace and directness in the team if you do that. So you are, you know, you're not getting that extra pace around Harry Kane, but it does allow you to get that extra body into midfield if you have Mount in there as well as. Rice and Phillips, or maybe bringing in Henderson for one of those two, probably Phillips. Uh, because I, I, I just think, yeah, I, I think he'll probably go in the direction of solidity when he's picking the team for this game, certainly for the first hour or so, with the option of then having Saka, Sancho, Grealish, Foden off the bench later on if the Italians are getting tired. Jack's about to shoot off and prepare for the final, but I just wanted to ask you before you go, Jack, what has this been like for you covering the tournament, well, covering England? Oh, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's been a complete privilege. Incredibly exciting and actually quite stirring being at these massive games. Um, one, because England doing so well. Two, because it's Wembley. Three, because it's co- you know because of COVID over the last 18 months and the delay to the hosting of the tournament. But even though, some, you know, at the time, to some people, certainly the group games felt a bit flat. The, um, the Germany, Ukraine and Denmark games have been incredibly memorable and... Uh, I think I hope that you know it will. This will stay as one of England's most memorable ever tournament campaigns, regardless of what happens on Sunday. Even if Sunday's a disaster, and it might well be, you know, it's uh, it's quite a difficult game to call. But you wouldn't be that surprised if Italy just nick two goals on the break off from set pieces and then shut down the game, and England don't really get 
and England don't really make any impression on it at all. I'm not saying that will happen, but it could happen. But even if that does happen, I do think everyone who's been to Wembley, seen the games, even watched at home on TV, will uh, hopefully have very positive memories of this tournament. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You're listening to The England Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. David, Jordan Pickford's had a, a very good tournament thus far. I mean, only conceded one goal. He's absolutely fantastic. He looks secure in the other games, but at the semi-final, you said earlier about people not playing the occasion. Do you think he was perhaps playing the occasion a little bit because he, he was a tad erratic? Yeah, there, there was a noticeable tension there that hadn't been uh, previously in the tournament. I think... Um, it should be said in both semi-finals, you know, Donna Roma and um, and Jordan were both targeted by the opposition, especially when the ball went went back to them uh, on the floor. Uh, you could see, and I know that Denmark generally the work a corner where they put a pressure on the goalkeeper, fill a six-yard box with with lots of bodies, but they did that for the first one against uh, uh, against England. And to be fair, Jordan stood up well, um, got fists on it. So I think it's going to be really important for, for not just for Jordan, for but for England pressing Donnarumma. I think that that will be a, um, a feature again because you see that both keep, keepers cough the ball up regularly, uh, either by giving it back to opposition or putting it out of play. And I think that um, I, I, I do think that, like I said before, that the tension got to him a little bit, and you can see that when he does make a mistake, ordinarily he gets over it quite well. In his way of getting over it, sometimes like beating himself up a little bit, but I don't like to see that, especially in the semi-final of the Euros. I don't like him seeing, you know, shouting at himself or or shouting at others because it just, like I said, it, when, you, when you're at a level or playing a game where there is going to be pressure and tension, you don't want to raise that anymore. And I think it's just, uh, he's 27 now, you know, so he's come to that stage of his career, goalkeepers around 25, 26, 27, you get that, that stage of your career when you, you stop looking to impress people you stop looking to, um, you know, to be perfect all the time. And really, you try and do everything so you don't have to do something. So whether that's with organisation in front of you and uh, or, or just a, you know, not getting yourself involved in situations that you think, oh, this will look impressive or I'll come, I'll come for this ball instead of just letting defenders deal with it. So he's getting that point in his career where that, it, it is happening with him. He is slowly sort of maturing. Um, but I think that's, it's just something he's got to keep a lid on for this final. Yeah. I mean, if the semi-final is anything to go by, the ball might not be in play. A fat lot in this game, we've done a rumour and, and Pickford's kicking is anything to go by. We, we might not see much football. 
Yeah, but again, I know I know it's probably not uh, it's not Donnarumma's strength really. He, he's not bad with the ball; he's fit by any means. But I, I think it, it doesn't matter who you are. If if you press keepers like Spain did and Denmark did, then you're going to put them under pressure, and you know you're going to have to um, you're going to have to make a decision whether you you're going to keep playing or until they stop pressing you, then you have to release the ball a little bit further so that the balls are coming back. So you've seen quite a lot in, in this uh, in this tournament where because keepers are playing so much more than they ever used to, it's kind of like when they do clear, it's like half-hearted trying to drop it into strikers. And, and quite often, those strikers are being screened in front. It's just coming straight back on you. So, and and there was, there's little things, you know, like the, the rollout where he, he rolled it straight to the uh, to the Danes and small things like this, you, you need to tidy up on because... Going back to the Spain Italy game, I think that was the difference uh, with Unai Simon. He didn't give anything away in the game. He wasn't at fault for any goals, but all these little small errors that he was making, it lifts the other team. It gives the other team encouragement. It, it gives them a, a bit of purpose, thinking, "Oh, we can, you know, we can get at this play," you know. And it lifts them a little bit. So it's we we don't want that to happen because you don't want to give good teams like Italy any encouragement whatsoever. Yeah, hopefully he's kind of got. That stuff out, out of his system in the semi-final, Lala. Yeah, I, I would say, as, as David said, I mean his, his performances and his, his composure through the through the first few games of the tournament had been really, really impressive, and and had been a continuation really of the way he'd been at Everton in the second half of the season. He's, he talks about having seen a psychologist and and having sort of learned more about how to how to control his emotions on the pitch, and it's been really impressive. I was quite close to him, you know, it's quite close to his uh, penalty area in the second half of the game in against Germany. You could see on his face how much he was relishing it and enjoying it in a really sort of controlled way. And yet the the game, um, yeah, the, the, the semi-final against Denmark, I, I would be interested, I mean, I, I haven't managed to watch it back yet. I, I still intend to, but what I couldn't really pick up on at the time was whether it was his uncertainty spreading throughout the team or whether it was the other way around, whether the team looked a bit edgy and whether that sort of had an effect on him. Um, I think Denmark probably took great comfort from that and, and and felt like, you know, we can get at these because it seemed to, it seemed to unsettle the defence as well for a time and then they recovered. You know, the, the, the defence played really well and, and Pickford sort of settled back into the game. But it, it, it is a concern because, I mean, this is this is... An absolutely huge game, and as as David said, you're right at the start, you can see players get caught up in the emotion of of big occasions, and there are players there who who just you know there, there are players who played in in big finals, and there are players who who just haven't, and 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 um, it will be interesting to see how you know, many of them, not just Pickford, cope with the the pressure on Sunday. Yeah, well, we've had the England perspective. Let's get a view now from the Italy side of things. Let's see how they're going to approach the final. Here's the Athletics Italian writer, James Horncastle. It's Jorginho. And if he scores, Italy have won. And he does. And what a team Roberto Mancini has put together here. They are into the final. After Tuesday's win in the semi-final, in extra time, shootout against Spain, Italy then flew home. They've been back in their Coveciano training base just outside of uh, Florence. They're obviously tired after uh, 
all the exertion of that game. Remember, Spain had 70% possession, played more than 900 passes. Um, so Italy were chasing shadows for a lot of that time. A few of the players were cramping up, but they have no further injuries uh, to report, aside from the one to Leonardo Spinazzolo in the quarterfinal. Uh, they're flying left back who uh, ruptured his Achilles heel and has since had surgery. But Italy are very much looking forward to the game. Um, you know, they feel that they have regained credibility that they'd lost by not qualifying for the World Cup in 2018 um, and uh, that they have played well uh, in this competition so far. They've shown many faces to themselves uh, in the group stage. Um, they played really attractive football and then against Austria and against Spain, they really dug in. They bent, but they didn't break. And Thursday's Gazette della Sport, uh, the front page uh, after England uh, were confirmed as their opponents in the final was, let's go and take back the crown. Yeah, David, I've seen some rascal gear from you on your Instagram page. The the Italian coaches staff, they're, they're better dressed than the England staff, aren't they? Oh, they look uh, look magnificent, don't they? I mean, you'd have all seen the uh, the photo of Mancini on the beach pre-tournament. He looks oh yeah magnificent. I mean, I, I didn't look like that at my peak of my youth, never mind at 55 years old or whatever it is. But yeah, it's um, they just they look great. And it, was it El- Alberico Ivani who got the? Uh, he got a bit of attention over his moustache and his hair, and he, he looked. I mean, he looked magnificent. And I got quite, quite defensive of him because a lot of people was kind of like taking the mick out of him a little bit, and um, saying that he looked like oh, who was it? Uh, Cousin Avi from um, Snatch. So like, uh, I got a bit uh, a bit defensive because I mean, this guy's he's won things. He's played in World Cup finals, won Serie A a few times, a couple of ch- uh, European cups with AC Milan, you know. But it was, uh, yeah, they, they look magnificent. The English Roberto Mancini, then Oli Kai. How iconic could, could this game be? I mean, Kane up against Chiellini and Benucci. Yeah, um, I'm glad you didn't ask me about the um, about the fashion side of things. Um, it, it, it's Kane has a a knack of of. I mean, sometimes he'll get have games where it looks like the opposition central defenders are, are smothering him and swallowing him up, like you know it was in. A, a couple of the earlier games, and it, you know, th- th- there is the possibility that Chiellini and Bonucci, with all their experience, with all the 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 nous and the, and the know how, will swamp him. And and I think Kane is is now experienced enough and clever enough to think, well, if that happens, I'll just I'll just wander, I'll roam, I'll, I'll drag them out of position, I'll make spaces for for. Sterling and a another to to get behind me, but it's it's um yeah the 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 Kane versus Chiellini Bonucci one intrigues me and and as I said earlier the how we match up against Jorginho Verratti Barella in midfield intrigues me as well because I think that is where the game will be won and lost and and if it's a game played on their terms I think Italy will win it and I think if if Phillips and Rice and possibly Henderson can can disrupt their rhythm in the way they did eventually against Germany with with Gross and um, and, and uh, Goretzka. Then England can make it a game played on their terms. But yeah, it, 
it could go one of two ways that obviously well t- talking to harry kane there's a piece from alan shearer in the athletic talking about how he's managed to score his way back into forms plenty of other great stuff on the athletic preview in the game or built around the game as well there's a michael cox piece on Saka and sterling attacking denmark's left wing back if you fancy looking at how england won that game a piece also on how st george's park has become the oxford and cambridge of english football and if you wanted to find out more about italy there's also a piece about mancini and the chiesas made for each other and for italy and you can subscribe to the athletic at the moment for our best ever price all you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash england pod and you'll be able to sign up for just a pound a month so to finish then guys let's get your starting 11s not what you think gareth southgate will do but what you would pick if you were england manager ollie i'll come to you first i think i've said for every game they play, should play three in midfield and they they generally haven't and uh, and they've done rather well out of it but i think particularly for the for this game um I really would want to see three in, in central midfield. Um, and I think I, that would mean bringing Jordan Henderson back. And I think I would probably take Mason Mount out. Um, uh, so, yeah, we're talking about a, a Pickford, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Henderson, Rice, Phillips. Um, and then I might I might say Sancho or I might say Foden. I can't make my mind up. Yeah, it, it's so difficult on that. In that position, I feel like that you're going to get a good player, whoever you pick there, and then Kane and Sterling. And I also would say that if if, if Southgate picks that team, he'll be slaughtered for it because um, people don't want to see more defensive midfielders. They they want to see they want to see Grealish, they want to see Foden, Sancho, Saka. It's um, but I just think they've got to be prepared to try and win ugly on on. Sunday then they're not going to be able to dominate the ball um, I think they've got to get as much tenacity and legs and know-how and, and aggression in that midfield as they can and David how would you line up not too dissimilar I think I can actually see him doing that uh, do, uh, picking that lineup. Uh, and if he does that what one of the three players and I can see it be Calvin Phillips being sort of the um, like an aggressive defensive 10 who goes and neutralises Jorginho. I thought Spain did that brilliant with uh, with Jorginho and Verratti. You know, for a lot of the game, they were they were nullified, and that's definitely the way forward. I don't think three at the back would be would be good because if I was going, if I was playing against a, a back three, I'd play four four three three, which obviously the Italians are. I think that's the best system against. So I'd probably score something that's like a four two three one, either exactly the same team that was picked last time. Or like uh, uh, Sancho instead of Saka, either of those two, because I think the, the left fullbacks in in, uh, in both teams will be key here. You know, Emerson uh, coming in for Spinazzola, I think he can be got at uh, defensively, and then Luke Shaw up against Chiesa. So I think those, that's going to be two big matchups. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it will look more like a four-three-three out of possession, but um, it. Same as you know how we lost the game against Croatia in um, in 2018. We lost it in midfield, and and that's how we've we've gained um, momentum this time by doing that and by matching teams up. So I think that will happen again. Thanks to both of you for joining me today, and thanks to Jack who shot off as well. That is it. One more podcast to come. Mood TBC. I'll see you on the other side. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.